Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. He's like a superhero without the costume. This is The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Coming up next hour, we're going to talk about the breed-specific legislation, the uh, pit bull ban in Montreal. And we'll get your thoughts on breed-specific legislation. They're banned in Ontario, and even Ontario communities aren't following that particular law. Not all of them, anyway. Why am I talking about oil this hour? Because I get so fed up, and I get so tired of knowing that my fellow Canadians who are working hard, and were working harder, and have the right to work and deliver are not. They're not doing what they can do because they're being robbed of their, robbed of their work by people we do business with. When I heard Bernard the Roughneck, I knew I had to talk about this. It's not just for my listeners in Alberta. It's for all of us. Mark Schultz is the president of the Canadian Association of Oil Well Drilling Contractors. I want to talk to him in a minute. He's on the line. Mark, forgive me. I want to read a few lines from a column before I talk to you. Claudia Cataneo wrote in the Financial Post in uh, February of this year. Just have a listen to this. As federal and provincial politicians pat themselves on the back for their climate change leadership and pipeline opponents gloat about stalling construction of new Canadian pipelines, tanker loads of foreign oil are delivered regularly to eastern Canadian refineries, including increasing volumes from Saudi Arabia. That's right, Saudi Arabia, the oil-rich kingdom that is waging a brutal price war to shore up its market share and devastating Canada's oil and gas sector in the process, dumping an average of 84,000 barrels a day of its cheap oil in New Brunswick's Irving Oil Refinery in 2015, according to data compiled by the National Energy Board. Overall, refiners in Quebec, Ontario, Newfoundland, and New Brunswick imported about 650,000 barrels a day from foreign producers in 2015. In addition to Saudi Arabia, the oil came from the United States, Algeria, Angola, Nigeria, because there is insufficient pipeline capacity to import it from Western Canada, which produces far more oil than it needs. As federal and provincial politicians pat themselves on the back for their climate change leadership and pipeline opponents, load about stalling construction of the new Canadian pipelines, again, tanker loads of foreign oil are delivered regularly to Eastern Canadian refineries, including Saudi Arabia. I want you to just keep that in mind, okay? The Saudi imports alone are the equivalent to the daily production of a mid-sized producer, such as Calgary-based Penn West Exploration Limited, one of scores of Canadian companies that are struggling to remain solvent after slashing jobs and budgets to survive the Saudi-instigated oil price collapse. Where's the political outrage over oil imports from rogue nations with inferior environmental records and deplorable behaviors towards women, dissidents, and minorities? Gee, I wonder why Denny Kader doesn't want to talk. Where are the beefed-up regulatory reviews of Saudi Arabia's climate change impacts or their dumping practices? Why is Canada so consumed with scrubbing its oil clean while oil from foreign sources flows into the gasoline tanks of eastern Canadians free of scrutiny? 
Quote, if we choose to import oil from Saudi Arabia, shouldn't we estimate the total GHG impact of Saudi Arabian oil, which must include the military footprint of safeguarding that oil in the midst of a perpetual war zone? End quote, asks Terry Etam in a column for the BOE Report, an industry online train publication. Just a few more lines here. Meanwhile, refiners in Quebec, where mayors led by Montreal's Denny Coderre, are fighting Energy East, are relying heavily on imports from the United States. A lot of oil on trains, even as President Barack Obama killed the Keystone XL pipeline to frustrate imports of dirty, quote-unquote, Canadian oil. It's come to this because of pressure groups such as the Sierra Club, which in a recent statement took credit for rallying Quebec mayors around Energy or against Energy East. And the column concludes, um, is it because is it also because of an expedient way to build political capital or to show Canada is making progress on its new climate commitments to the international community, or because reducing greenhouse gas emissions fairly is a lot harder than picking on pipelines? Less hypocrisy and more respect for the needs of ordinary Canadians would be nice once in a while. It's a great column. It's a great column written by Claudia Cataneo in the Financial Post in April of this year, or February of this year. So, what about the oil wells? What about the drillers? What about the people who are involved in this? I read something on the website of the Canadian Association of Oil Well Drilling Contractors, is that one operating oil well equals 137 Canadian jobs. Mark Schultz is the president of the Canadian Association of Oil Well Drilling Contractors. Mark, thank you for holding on while I read that piece from the Financial Post. Well, great to be here, Roy. And and, um, I think uh, Claudia, certainly, I read that article back uh, in February when it was written, and it's... uh, really clearly lays out the, the challenges we have with uh, our domestic uh, energy strategy here in Canada. So while the oil industry stagnates in Alberta, tens of thousands of jobs are lost. Tankers continue to arrive in Montreal from overseas, as I said, particularly Saudi Arabia, which has a terrible record on human rights and officially treats women like chattel. And the mayor of Montreal, Denis Coderre, has no problems with tankers loaded with Saudi oil entering the port of Montreal while chattering on about the lack of safety of pipelines and the need for 100% safety assuredness in pipelines. Talk to us, please, about just an overview of your aspect of, of, the, of the oil industry, the, um, um, the number that got me, the, and I was on your site, and it just popped up right, right in front of me. One operational rig represents 137 jobs. I'm curious what percentage of rigs are operating now. So today we have uh, we would have about uh, 15 to 20 percent of uh, our available rig fleet working today. So that works out to roughly about 100 and 150 rigs out of uh, capacity of about 700 drilling rigs, uh, and and it's about the same on the on the well service servicing side as well. Um, th- th- these numbers are the lowest we've seen. Uh, since we've re- been recording this information back in 1977. Uh, so this this is, you know, when we talk about the 80s and how bad the 80s were, uh, I can tell you that, at least in my membership, um, what we're experiencing today is far worse than we experienced in, back in 1980. And this this is happening directly in Alberta. But what happens in Alberta, and particularly with the oil industry, natural resources industry, because it's had such a 
consistent impact on this whole nation and still does. It's not just Alberta. This is going to flow downstream into the rest of the country and already is. We need to we need to understand that. So give us a, a, a bit of a sense of that, Mark. Would you please on the what's going on in Alberta and how this then flows downstream into the rest of the country? Well, I mean, you just have to look at G- the GDP statistics that are coming out of Stats Canada. In the last 10 months, we've seen virtually no growth in the Canadian economy, and we've seen some of the lowest growth in over 60 years. Uh, so certainly, um, you know, what we're experiencing right now is that when Alberta gets gets a cold, uh, eventually it, it, it passes on to other jurisdictions. We've continued to see both, you know, here in the province of Alberta, but also in other resource-based economies uh, in uh, Western Canada are bleeding red ink on their on their budgets. They're having a hard time paying for all the services that we have come to appreciate. And then, of course, in, on the federal government side, uh, we also are not balancing the budget. And you have to look at the reasons for that is because uh, we have the most important driver of the Canadian economy uh, operating on, you know, uh, you know, half a tank or not even a full tank of gas, so to speak, no pun intended. And and that really is uh, the driver of, of job growth, uh, of GDP creation. 8% of our GDP is associated with the natural resource sector, 20% of the Toronto Stock Exchange. But what's important here for many central Canadians to understand is that 46% of the manufacturing sector depends on the resource sector in the country for it to be healthy as well. So there's many, uh, many suppliers uh, in central Canada, Ontario, Quebec, in the manufacturing field that provide the oil sands and the oil and gas industry with, with, uh, with um, uh, you know, engines, parts, uh, tubing that are feeling the pain as well because of what's, what's happening in, uh, in, the, in the Canadian economy in, in Western Canada. And it's not as though they've shut everything down. Well, it has, a lot of it's been shut down in Alberta, but the tankers are coming up the St. Lawrence uh, carrying Saudi Arabian, Nigerian, Algerian, uh, bringing American oil into the refineries in, in, in Montreal, while the mayor of Montreal talks about not being satisfied that the, the safety of, uh, of the energy pipeline would be, you know, would meet the standards expected by him and, uh, and, 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 and the city. So they've got the tankers, they've got rail cars. It, it's just, it's politics that is, that is hurting the industry. It's hurting you. And eventually, and probably already is, it's going to hurt people, as you pointed out, downstream. It'll cost jobs. Well, and I think that's, you know, that's the most frustrating part of this, this whole conversation is we have world-class regulators, the National Energy Board, which has over 50 years of experience of regulating almost uh, 840,000 kilometers of de- domestic Canadian pipeline for over 50 years. It provides a credible, independent process for Canadians to scrutinize major energy projects like Energy East, like Trans Mountain, like uh, Northern Gateway. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, very, uh, it's very unfortunate when you have uh, key political leaders in our country that, uh, you know, that are, you know, claiming that the, the re- review process is broken. And, and quite frankly, it doesn't matter how many politicians say that the review process is broken. Uh, it, the, the reality, it's not broken. In fact, we have the best regulators in the world. And it's, it's time for our political leaders to really uh, get some maturity and some proper behavior in this country and start getting behind these world-class regulators. You know, let's, let's get down to the, the bare-bone facts of the global energy uh, economics and, and growth projections. 
the International Energy Agency has said that by the by 2040, the world will be consuming uh, about 37% more energy, and 75% of the world's energy mix by 2040 will come from fossil fuels. So Canada has a choice in this uh, this debate in this conversation: is do we want to be the major suppliers of a growing uh, growing demand for oil and gas in in this world? And you know the the environmentalists can say all they want about uh, this uh, this uh, the, 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 the 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 myth of somehow we're going to be able to get off fossil fuels in the next five ten years. The reality is that that is not going to happen. Uh, you know, facts and figures are showing that you know the oil and gas industry in the world is going to have a very uh, productive and healthy uh, growth experience over the next decades, uh, if not a century. So, does Canada want to be the major supplier of that growth? I mean, uh, you know, since 2007, Alberta was the first major oil producer in the world to put a price on carbon. We have some of the highest environmental uh, safety regulations anywhere in the world. So to us, it just makes sense that a greater supply of the oil and gas in the world should be coming from Canada, well, not less. Mark, Mark it's, we have it. The world needs it. We're importing, we're importing what we don't need to import. We should be using our own. It's that simple. It helps the national economy. It puts money in everybody's pocket, and we can regulate things from within and not have to depend on countries like Saudi Arabia to regulate and to, uh, to, to properly uh, administer greenhouse gas emission concerns. i got to run. Mark, it's always good speaking with you. Thank you very much for the time. It's a imp- critically important issue to everybody in this country. We're going into national debt deeper and deeper with deficit spending by governments. Meanwhile, the world needs oil. We have it, and we're not selling it to them. It's, it's, not, it's not... It just doesn't make sense. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Good talking to you, sir. Mark Schultz, president of the Canadian Association of Oil Well Drilling Contractors. All right, my number is 888 416-870-6400-416-870-6400. Now, you've heard what you heard in the last 45 minutes. Are you, are you supportive of using Canada's natural resources in this country and exporting them, in other words, building the pipelines, or are you more comfortable with the idea of importing oil from Saudi Arabia and elsewhere, tankers coming up the St. Lawrence, or pipelines from Alberta, points west, points east? 888-225-8255-416-870-6400. The carbon tax is coming too. 888-225-8255-416-870-6400. Your calls, your comments. We'll have a few minutes for those when we come back. 